on ABC Radio. This is The Big Fish with Scott Levi. Ahoy there. Welcome aboard another real screaming, line-tearing episode of The Big Fish. Fly fishing guru Peter Morse has the first cast. He's taken a 16-year-old from the Central West under his wing and the youngster has caught the freshwater grand slam in the one week. A yellow belly, a murray cod and a trout, all legal size, on one of the flies he tied. You can't get better than that. Stinker was stumped by the hump question last week. Why does some snapper have the bump and some snapper don't? We'll try to find the answer to that age-old question, that conundrum on the big fish, and mull away madness on Lake Macquarie with Jonathan Bleakley from the Lake Macquarie chapter of Oz Fish Unlimited, all coming up on the big fish. On the Big Fish last week, you may have heard about the great Winburndale trout muster where people used uh, all sorts of methods, electrofishing, nets, uh, legally because they're trying to relocate these trouts into a place where they're able to be accessed by people of all abilities. And one of the fly fishers there was a young fella, uh, Jim Squibb's son, Dusty. Dusty Squibb. And and a moniker like that you'd never forget. He's He's a legend in the bush, Jim, and... Dusty is a young fly fisherman coming through the ranks who's just obsessed with it. And you love it when you see youngsters off the PlayStation and out on the stream. And uh, I think he won an event, the Cephala Carp Muster or something like that. And uh, one of the prizes was a fishing trip with Peter Morse. And Morsey joins us on the line from the Blue Mountains. Good morning, Peter. How are you, mate? How did you go with Dusty? Yeah, great, great. The, um, the, the... The thing was put together by Ken Smith, who's a you know one of those wonderful people who does so much for the community and the fishing community as well. Um, tireless worker and for fisheries, but I, I just mentioned Ken there because he's just a great bloke and a great friend. But Ken asked me if I'd, for some reason, if I'd put myself up as a an auction prize to raise money for Daffodil Cottage, which is. Part of Bathurst Hospital, it's where parents stay when um, kids are sick. And uh, they. so he asked me if I'd put myself up uh, to host or guide someone for a day's fishing and it would go to auction. And Jim's Jim Squibb, Dusty's dad, bought a day out for him and him and uh, and Dusty. And Ken Ken put this trip together and. And uh, yeah, that 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 was Dusty wanted to catch a Murray cod on fly, and so we headed off to uh, a river near Bathurst, no names, no Packville, <laughs> and um, camped the night out there, and, and had an awesome time. And, uh, what yeah. was what was really interesting from the the Winburndale trout muster? I, I said to uh, Luke Pierce, who's a very good fly fisherman too, and a good fly fishing buddy of mine. We've had lots of adventures in the in the mountains catching trout. I said, did anyone catching trout on fly? He said, oh, Ray Tang was here. I said, well, Ray would have caught them. He said, no, Ray was busy helping out and, and had his kids there and helping with the relocation of these fish from this closed water supply catchment for Bathurst to this um, mill pond at, at Portland where people can catch them on any method, but try a fly rod because there's some great fish in there. And he said, uh, I'll tell you who, who did catch 
a, a, a fish, a big fish on a fly that he tied himself, um, was was Dusty Squib, and I, I was interested. I said, "Well, when where did he get this from?" He said, "Well, he tied his first fly and he caught his first trout on that fly, and he's he's absolutely hooked." And then he told me about his trip with you. So, were you fly fishing for cod with Dusty? Absolutely, absolutely. So. He's, they're a real outdoor fishing and hunting family. So Dusty's been been fishing with conventional tackle for a long time, and that of course gives gives you a good grounding in in uh, all all sorts of fishing um, skills. But he was he yeah this was about fly fishing, and uh, he brought along his fly rod. He brought along a bunch of flies he'd tied himself, and it was a stinking hot day. And we headed off to, you know, off onto this river on a long walk. His dad was going to fly fish, but then uh, Jim, but Jim ended up fishing lures. And um, yeah, it's a stretch of river that hadn't seen a lot of fishing pressure, and but the water was really hot. Anyway, we got a yellow belly that was his his first native fish on fly, and uh, uh, we'd had some follows from these yellow belly. And then a stretch of water that we wanted to fish, the, the water level had fallen pretty dramatically over the last few days, but Ken knew some big big ponds downstream, big pools downstream, and we headed off downstream, and he talk about a bloody SAS march. You know, hey, I'm 69 now. <laughs> <laughs> bloody Nick. Oh, Morsi. <laughs> oh, man. You know, this is over rocks and boulders, and it's yeah, fairly tough going, long grass. And Anyway, I'll stop whinging right there because I can still do it. Um, anyway, right. we got, got down to this big pool, and and uh, and uh, I was lagging behind a bit, and I uh, heard a shout and came running, and there's Dusty hooked up to a beautiful cod. I, I forget the size, but we'd done a fair bit of fishing up, up till that stage, and and I think we'd had one follow, and then we got the yellow belly. But anyway, yeah, he got this beautiful big cod on a fly he'd tied himself. Wow. That is yeah, the pinnacle. That's the pinnacle. And then he went and caught his first trout on a fly that he tied. He caught another cod as well on a surface fly, just on dark. Oh, he, that is yeah, the pinnacle. But, but, that's yeah. the pi- That's as good as it gets. That's as good as it gets. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. What and, was the uh, take yeah. like? I mean, the, the they're so always, aud- audible, always spectacular, <laughs> so yeah. audible as well as yeah. <laughs> spectacular. I, I tell yeah. you what, I do hate when you're pumping a, an eight weight or something, and, and you're casting all day, and they just want to get rid of it. They don't want to eat it when they hit it with their tail. That yeah, yeah. is so yeah. frustrating, isn't it? But well, they just boil under it, or yeah, yeah. and yeah. boy, do they, they move some water, don't they, Peter? Yeah, they sure do. They sure do. I love catching them on surface flies. It's mostly all I fish for them. So this is a whole whole heap of first for this young fella. Sounds like he'll be yeah. hooked forever. Uh, look, you know, I've, I've said it for years and years. Some people just have the gene. It's a fly fishing gene. Sometimes it's passed on. Sometimes it isn't. I don't know. It's a hunting gene. It's something. Uh, you know, parents parents can sometimes do the best they can to, you know, parents who love fly fishing, I think of myself and, and my kids were just never interested. They're now both keen hunters, but not fly fishermen. Uh, you know, maybe it was too much. So parents have to be careful. Maybe that's probably my fault for being over-enthusiastic. But parents need to be careful. But some kids 
you know, I, it's just going to happen. Uh, and Dusty's one of those. And they're, they're fairly rare, you know, particularly with the fly fishing thing. But, no, he's a, he's a very smart, very smart kid. Sharp, sharp as a as a gamakatsu hook, and uh, you know, yeah, he's he's obsessed. He'll he'll be a great fisherman. Fly fishing guru Peter Morse there on the big fish, and his brightest disciple Dusty Squibb is on the line in the car with his dad Jim, loaded to the roof with fly rods and uh, swags and all of the camping gear, ready to head back to the Windburn Dale to continue the trout relocation efforts. And young Dusty is on the line. From the Central West. Good morning, Dusty. Hello. How are you? Yeah, going really well. And your dad, Jim. And I did a bit of research on you, Dusty. I found some newspaper clippings from that Savala carp blitz of you as a baby, really, in carp bigger than yourself. Sounds like you've been fishing since uh, you're in nappies. I have been. I've been fishing my entire life. Just brilliant. And what an adventure you had with Peter Morse, even though he reckons you tried to kill him. Uh, the poor old sixty-year-old up and down hills and boulders and over rivers and rocks in in forty-degree heat, but um, you managed to catch a few fish, I believe, Dusty. I did. Caught a yellow belly and a cod on fly. Caught a few trout on fly as well. What was that like? What was that like to catch your first yellow belly cod and and trout on fly in what the, the same week, virtually? Uh, pretty much, very close to it. They were all very exciting. I was. Pumps because I caught them all in the same week. And Dusty, tell us about the flies that you tied for each scenario. So for the cod, I normally just tie big red and black flies on about a six o hook, just big flies for the cod. For the yellow belly, it's about two o size. The Donny Brasco, the pattern name. For the flies, I just for the trout flies, I just tie my dry flies and my nymphs, and that's what I caught all my fish on. Tell us about the materials for your big red and black cod fly. So just big feathers and lots of rabbit fur and just big bushy material to make the fly stand out in the water. Those rabbit zonker strips, black rabbit zonker strips are just great, aren't they, the way they move in the water. But you've got to be careful they don't wrap around the the shank of the hook. You've got to make sure that they're designed properly, haven't you? Make sure that they work properly. Yeah, you have to. Otherwise... up around the hook and of course anyone who ties a fly even though it's a variant on on a clouser or a some sort of streamer or some well-known pattern you've got to give it a name dusty did you give it a name i haven't yet i'm thinking about it i haven't yet what do you reckon jim i've got one dusty's destroyer yeah that sounds good enough to me (laughs) he was destroying the fish with it so yeah look that it's funny dusty because my favorite pattern for for big trout and cod and yellow belly and i've caught plenty of them on it is a black zonka strip matuka style so you, you tie it onto the top of the hook and just a red wool body and that's it and a, and a bit of wire a bit of copper wire in in the ribbing to just get it down quickly and that has done me very well over the years a big yellow belly and uh, blowering and, and cod in the riverina and uh, some some decent trout as well so you don't have to get too complicated, do you, as long as it's got that lovely, enticing action in the water. That's pretty much it, as long and, as it's big bushy enough. And tell us how you fish Dusty's Destroyer on a on a big rod. I would think you'd have to, that's half a chicken you're throwing there, you're on a, a 10 weight or an 8 weight or something? We're using a 10 weight for the big bigger flies, yeah, a 10 weight.
And Jim tells me that he loves fly fishing, but all the hard yakri he's done to keep you in fishing gear over the years has meant that his shoulders packed it in. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Poor old Jim. He'd love to fly fish, but uh, chucking the lures is, is hard enough as well. And Peter said it's a secret spot uh, near Bathurst, so we won't give it away. But uh, what, where do you fish around there without giving away any of your secret spots? But where do you chase your, your natives and your cod? And I believe... And your yellow belly, and I believe you've caught plenty of carp and uh, redfin on fly, and and of course now trout. You you broke your duck last week on the trout. Yes, for the cod and the yellow belly, you mostly just catch them in the Macquarie. But for the trout, you can catch them in loads of different places, like the Fish River, the Wimmerdale Rivulet, the Upper Turon, a few other places in this area. And have you done any stalking of of trout on the Upper Turon? Because I've I've fished there and. There's some big lazy pools there, and if you're really stealthy, uh, they're they're on the lookout. But you can you can sight fish a few big browns in there, can't you? Yeah, there is a few big browns in the upper tier on there in the nice big pools. That is very exciting, very exciting, isn't it? That's something that you'll get into. Well, the, the season finishes uh, on the King's birthday long weekend, doesn't it? So that's your last chance to fish the streams, and of course that Windburndale rivulet and dam. Um, you're only allowed to fish that to relocate the fish over to Portland, aren't you? You were given permission there with the, the Central Acclimatisation Society and uh, Ozfish and all the, the good folk who were there. Did you meet some good people? I met some very great people there. Very good experience. Did you have a chat with Ray Tang? Ray is one of the best fly fishers uh, from Walera Wang to Wagga Wagga, really. <laughs> He's a, a really good uh, good trout Hunter, I've fished on the coxes with him and in the dams. He's, he's caught some absolute trophies out of Lyle and uh, Wallace and, and um, out of Thompson's Creek Dam too. He's a real gun. Uh, Ray, did you catch up with Ray Tang? I haven't yet. I'm pretty sure I will soon, but... Yeah, well, if you get a chance to fish with Ray, do so. Apparently he was not fishing, but, but you were. And, and did your fish make it into the tanker truck and over to Portland? It did, yes, it did. And tell us about that. Tell us about catching your first trout on fly last weekend. It was it was very exciting. I was just a massive big pool in this, or in the upper Wimmondale Rivulet, and it just threw my fly in there, and he come flying out of the water at it a million miles an hour. Here's a, here's a really nice brownie too. We got a photo of that from Luke Pierce. Here's a beautiful brownie. Yeah, it was pretty nice. About forty centimeters. <laughs> That's a good start, mate. Uh, are you hooked? Yeah, I am hooked. I'm well and truly hooked on it. And fly fishing will be your go, you think? I'm pretty sure it will be from now, yeah. And what about Morsi? Did he uh, teach you a few things with casting? Yeah, he taught me lots, Morsi did. He taught me lots about all fly fishing in general. And Jim, isn't it great when we have kids hooked on fishing rather than hooked on TikTok? Mate, it's the most important thing, I think, is kids getting out there and enjoying the fresh air and and the, the wildlife and uh, getting along the waterways and, um, and and catching fish is definitely a lot better than them sitting in front of a phone screen or a computer screen. And Dusty, how big was that cod, your first ever cod on fly? It was about 65, 70 centimetres. Gee, that's a good fish, mate. Did it give you a bit? It did give me a bit. Yeah. Struggled with it for a bit, yeah. Lovely, and, and swam away none the worse for wear? Yeah, swam away fine. Gorgeous, and, and they're lovely out of the Macquarie, aren't they? They've got some nice patterning. They have great patterning.
things out of Macquarie. Yeah. yeah, well, I, I think uh, Jim's going to send me a photo of that one. We can put it up on the big fish. Thanks for that. Yep, no worries. Yeah, well, I know both of you are itching to hit the river. You're sitting in the car talking to me, but it's loaded up, ready to go. What what a great thing to do. And isn't it great testimony to all of those people who've stocked native fish and, and the moves to bring the Macquarie back and, and to bring the yellow belly and the cod back in those waterways? And, of course, the Macquarie perch one day, maybe not you and I, Jim, but maybe one day Dusty and his brother might be able to um, catch catch a few Macquarie perch Legally, um, you know, of course, you've got to let them, or don't even target them now, but that's the plan. That's what Luke Pierce wants to see. Mate, hopefully that's how it goes. Hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed. It's, it's, it's Luke Pierce and, and the CAS guys from uh, Cephala and Oberon. Uh, they're the guys that do all the hard work for everybody else to enjoy it. So, hat off to them guys. Let them guys, are, are, mate, are, are the best thing ever what they're doing for our fish in the waterways around here. Well, Jim and Dusty, I'll let you go this morning. I wish I was up in the mountains there with you. What are you What are you targeting? Uh, trout this weekend, mate. More more, more going down to Portland. That's <laughs> so the way back to the Winburn Dale to uh, keep getting the trout out so that the, the um, Macquarie Perch have a chance. And did you see a Macquarie Perch, Dusty? Did, did Luke show you one? Yeah, we saw loads. We probably saw a dozen or 15 in the weekend that we were there, yep. They're getting bigger too, aren't they? They're getting much bigger. Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. I think Luke's caught one on the fly too. I think in, in the Manus Creek before the fires and, you know, incidentally, of course, he was just down there fishing and it was a real thrill. So they, they will rise. They will rise to a fly. So um, once they're established in the Macquarie, the river of their name, it's going to be great, Dusty. I think um, that'll be another fish that you can add to your list. Hopefully. Yeah. One oh. day. Well, good good luck up there at Winburn Dale. It's a great job you're all doing and uh, relocating those fish to, to Portland. And, and Look, we might even head over to that mill pond. It sounds like it's full of monsters. Well, it is now. <laughs> That's right. All right. Tight lines, boys. Tight loops. Dusty, and thanks for joining us on The Big Fish. Cheers. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Throw a line in every day Hoping I can finally say I caught a fish as big as a fridge In both water fresh and salty My method must be faulty In 50 years I haven't caught a thing I've tried fishing off the rocks In my lucky purple socks Been on the troll at Lake Jindabine I've read all the fishing books Used every type of hook Still I've got nothing on my line But it doesn't really matter Cause I just love fishing I've never caught a thing But I keep on wishing For a nibble on the line Yeah, I'll keep on trying Cause nothing really matters When you just love fishing I've been fishing on the bidgee In a blow-up a dinghy. I've fished at Bateman's Bay and Narrabeen I've drowned so many worms That now I can confirm The RSPCA has intervened Twas an unsuccessful mission To go fly fishing A sad story that now can be told and Me and me mate We used our zippers for the bait you know we couldn't even catch a cold 
But it doesn't really matter Cause I just love fishing I've never caught a thing But I keep on wishing For a nibble on the line Yeah, I'll keep on trying Cause nothing really matters When you just love fishing I've fished in lumpy water In a super-duper trawler I've tickled trout to try and end the jinx I've practiced in the bathtub While I had a good scrub But hooks and hairy men just don't mix I'm at the end of my tether With my fishing dilemma There's one last desperate measure left for me I'll give Rod a call Before I hit the wall Thank goodness for the AP he said it doesn't really matter Cause you just love fishing You've never caught a thing But just keep on wishing For a nibble on the line Yeah, keep on trying Cause nothing really matters When you just love fishing No, it doesn't really matter Cause I just love fishing I've never caught a thing But I keep on wishing For a nibble on the on trying, cause nothing really matters when you just love fishing. It was the dark of the moon and the prawns were running. The expert in the mug shot across the lake, engine gunning. The whiting were biting, but only on live prawn. Said expert to mug, we'll fill the boat, come the light of dawn. The mug toiled away with light and net. Filling the prawn bucket left him cold and wet. The expert watched on with lots of advice while the shivering mug was bitten by lice. Hurry up, you mug. Tides are turning. We can't be late. We'll bag out now that I've collected the perfect bait. They dropped the anchor. It was cold and black. Remember when they bite, give them some slack. They cast their prawn rigs out into the dark. The expert said, we'll catch our bag. This will be a lark. They fished on and on, hour after hour. Not a bite, not a touch. The situation was dour. The mug gave the expert an evil look as he threaded another live prawn onto his hook. All bloody night without even a nibble. You call yourself expert. What a load of drivel. As the scene was illuminated by the rosy light of dawn, they saw a crab shuffling off with a prawn. The mug gave the expert the back of his hand. You bloody fool, he said. We've been casting onto the sand. (laughs) As they motored home across the lake, the mug thought, how was I duped by this fake? My family's waiting at home with the skillet and we're heading back without even a fillet. The expert now chastened said, I know how to sate their hunger. On the way home, we'll call in at the fishmonger. 
The expert has now pawned his rod and reel o. The price of redemption? $69 a kilo. Coming up on The Big Fish Stinker on the mystery of why some snapper have a hump and others don't. Last week he was stumped by the hump question. This week, the answer to that bumpy question may be coming your way. And uh, Mulloway Madness on Lake Macquarie with Jonathan Bleakley from Ozfish Unlimited and your chance to catch up with some fishing experts like Starlo at the East Coast Fish Talk series. The events are coming up at Lake Macquarie, uh, Wollongong, Sydney, Naruma, Cooma, all over the state. We'll tell you about that as well. Coming up on The Big Fish. On ABC Radio, this is The Big Fish. The Big Fish with Scott Levi on ABC Radio. Here comes Stinker with his fishing tips. Some hot advice for your fishing trip. Where to find them? What's the bait? Are you catching any, mate? Good morning, Stinker. Yeah, hey, Hey, Stinker, the camel has one hump, the dromedary has two humps, and sometimes a snapper has a hump or a bump, and it doesn't have a hump or a bump. What's going on? <laughs> well, what a mystery we've uncovered. Oh, dear. I'd like to, before we go into the humping and bumping business, <laughs> I'd like to, I'd like to say good morning and thank you so much to Pat Buchanan. What a lovely letter I received from her through the week. Um, look, I I love to get um, letters and emails from listeners who get some pleasure out of my ramblings, <laughs> and, and uh, this particularly your show, which really has a tremendous listening audience. But it's lovely to know that we give some people pleasure, Scott. Pat's just a delight, and isn't she being looked after well by the family? That seafood feast they have uh, weekly, I, I want to be invited to that, Pat. That sounds really good. <laughs> oh, yes. Look, and the grandchildren and everything. It's just, uh, you know, ladies um, of that previous generation, they're the loveliest ladies. I meet a lot of ladies like Pat when because I write history books, and I go into the homes and I sit down and drink gallons of tea <laughs> and Arnott's biscuits until I can hardly walk, but I sit and spend time with the, the previous generation and it's a delight. They're, they're, they're such um, wonderful ladies which such, with such dignity. Um, I'm not saying we don't have them now, but just, there's a certain gentleness that I've always found with those ladies. Well, I think one thing that Pat has is just a beautiful hand and a beautiful way to write a letter that's so lovely to tell a story, you know. It's just lovely to get her letter and um, pass pass it on, pass your address on. So it's, it's nice to get letters. You don't get many letters these days. I, I cherish that. Yeah, me too. I mean, it, uh, I go down there and look in the, look in the um, letterbox and most times it's empty. <laughs> you wonder why you've got a letterbox sometimes. But thanks again, Pat. Much appreciated. Uh, really lovely to know that you enjoy this the segment and the whole program. 
But getting on the hump and the bump, Scott, um, it's, uh, I thought, I've got to go and find out because I've been asked numerous reasons why it is and why do mullet jump? Oh, dear me, I'm still trying to figure that out. Yeah, why do mullet jump and whiting don't jump and tailor don't jump? Why is it only the mullet that jumps? Yeah, and they love to jump, don't they? They just they do it. it for fun. They do it Maybe. for fun. They're having such a good time. And they're looking around and thinking, oh, this is okay. And then they're back in the water. Yeah, so there's another one. We can chase that one further down the track. All right. But now let's get onto the hump. Now, the hump, I've been, looked all the way through all my research methods, and it's not much use asking anybody because no one seems to know. So the reason is that I've come down, I've concluded that it's um, what's called a hyperostosis. Now, it's a, which really means an excess growth of bone. Ostosis, of course, is osteo, meaning bone, um, and the cause is unknown. Well, there you go. I spent all week finding out that the cause is unknown, but it was first described in 1655. Wow, I thought it was uh, the thing out of Mary Poppins, you know, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Oh, well... It's a bit no, like that, isn't it? What anything about Mary Poppins. What's it, what's it called again, Stinker? It's called hyperostosis. And, it, and it, what that simply means, the hyper means enlarged or bigger, and the ostosis refers to the bone. So it's bigger bone, basically. Um, it's excessive growth. Now, there are so many old wives' tales that relate to this bone business, and that is that it's age. Old man Snapper's got the bump on his head. Well, that's nonsense. And it's not related to sex because both female and male fish uh, exhibit this um, strange growth. And uh, it's not for crushing shells, as I might have mentioned last week. And it's also not for exciting members of the opposite sex, which was also quite interesting. I don't quite know how that all happens. But anyway, so um, that being the case, it seems to be more genetically orientated. Now, that, again, poses questions, Scott, and you mentioned this to me, is why isn't it so common in other states of Australia and in New Zealand where they don't get this hump, not only on the top of the head, but also on the nose? They get this bright and whopping proboscis. That yeah. <laughs> it's strange. So it I, is. I'm no smarter than I was last time. Well, I got a big one in the boat with you. It was really a huge one. And yep. when I went to fillet it, it didn't have a big hump on its head. It was like a, a New Zealand or Western Australian one. But I'm trying to get through the, the fillet at the tail, and then the knife keeps hitting something. I'm thinking, what's going on here? That's not the spine. I was, you know, getting all the all the meat off. And, and when I finally did, it had a huge, shiny um, growth, the bone growth, on the tailbone, like like yeah. um, like the threadfin salmon do up in the in the Northern Territory and and uh, North Queensland, and it was really um, just on one side. Actually, it was a really big, shiny bone growth. Well, what I the, that's just another case, and what I did read suggested that these growths do um, grow on the spine along the backbone. Um, so I'm just going to have to settle for that. But to know that, the, and it's under research, under 
under conditions um, of research, they haven't been able to reproduce it. So there are more questions than answers. But what you need to know is that, that it doesn't detract from the um, quality of the fillet. And so it is, it's nothing to do with disease or any virus or parasite. It's nothing to do with any of that. It's just... Uh, and you can get it... Actually, humans sometimes get it in what's called a spur, um, which is an overgrowth of bone in certain parts of the body. So... You know, uh, let's leave it at that, otherwise we'll go crackers. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's still no one's explained why it's more prevalent in the snapper around uh, Sydney and Wollongong and Newcastle and Nelson Bay and on the East Coast than it is in snapper on the West Coast or in New Zealand. Well, while we're on snapper, I must say that the last couple of outings I've had have been absolutely fantastic. I'm a dinosaur when it comes to fishing, and I haven't moved on to plastics. But I know that plastics are highly efficient, and they tend to, in lots of cases, catch larger fish. So I'm not here to detract from the effectiveness of plastics. But I've changed my methods for fishing. As I've mentioned, over the over the years speaking to you, I've sort of evolved into sort of more more of a dinosaur than I was in the first place, God. <laughs> God. So I, I'm doing things that really, um, using bait, I'm an old bait man. I mean, if your name's Stinky, you can't use plastic, let's face it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, but what I'm catching now, I'm using 20-pound line, a 6-0 hook, pinned through a cube of yellowtail on two rods. I have two rods and I put them, toss them way back behind the boat um, and then put them in my rod holder, one on either side of the of stink pot, and then I lay back and look at the birds and soak up the sun and the atmosphere and then whop and whiz this almighty, they just buck. The whole rod just shudders and turns into a semicircle and the line squeals. The sound is Fantastic. You've got to be very careful that the, the drag is set correctly. And then once that, once the fish is hooked, and it in fact has hooked itself, and that's that's what I've been, you know, I haven't hooked a fish for months. Every fish I've caught has hooked itself. That's a way to go. At, at least it's not your fault if they get off. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's very true. I never thought of that. But you've got the I rod holders. Through the week which was most enjoyable. I went on um, the whale-watching uh, cruise, which is the commencement of the whale season here in Port Stevens, which is a massive um, earner and brings people from all over the world. And we've got a, a quite a fleet of boats that go out and meet the whales out in front of the lighthouse where I catch my snapper. And I hope they leave me alone this year because remember last year they gave me a real rub. <laughs> they were rub, rubbing up and down on the bottom of Stink Pot, which is only oh. 11 foot long. <laughs> oh, dear me. I have to wear a life jacket because I think the day's not too far away when a whale's going to knock me into the sea. I'm, I'm quite serious about that. At, that um, they're coming closer and closer. There's more of them. I've heard that there was a 13% increase in the population of whales every year. Well, that's fantastic. I mean, I, I love whales like everybody else, but I wish they didn't love me as much as I love them. <laughs> 
Oh, well, Stinker, get ready, get ready. But, um, you'll be like Jonah. Great to talk to you again, mate. Thanks for, for sharing your thoughts on the hump and uh, tight lines. <laughs> Hooray, Scott. Saturday is a very fine day to do a little work in the yard. But when the sun is shining away, it makes the work too hard. It makes the work too hard. Saturday is a very fine day to get my homework done. But when the sun is shining in May, we ought to go have some fun. So let's go fishing instead of just a wishing. What do you say we go in for a while? <laughs> Dig those worms out of the side. Put them in a can and go get a rod. Let's go fishing for a day and a half a mile. Let's go fishing for a day and a half a mile. Did you hear the chief, the boss, the CEO of the Victorian Fisheries Authority on the program last week talking about the Gippsland Lakes becoming net free, a, a recreational fishing haven, and the, the fishing almost instantly bouncing back after a, a few months with record hauls of beautiful big King George Whiting. He was gee, painting a pretty good picture to lure our South Coast anglers across the border, saying he's knock a couple of mussels off a pole, put one on, and there's a, a 40 centimetre King George Whiting in the bag for dinner. Uh, very, very good stuff from Travis Dowling. Well, Anglers at Lake Macquarie saw this as well. When that became a recreational fishing haven, the biggest saltwater lake on the coast, um, it really went berserk too. Having grown up at Elibana, it was amazing to be fishing for brim in the old spot and all of a sudden hook a snapper or hook a jewfish. Uh, it's just incredible. Jonathan Bleakley from Ozfish Unlimited. These uh, recreational fishing havens, they really are very sustainable by the look of it. Rod and line fishing uh, particularly the way I do it, doesn't really impact the stocks too much. Good morning. Good morning, mate. It's been a while. Yeah, it has. But I, I think that's a, a fair call, isn't it? The numbers of fish in Lake Macquarie, just phenomenal now. And still, the fisher folk who know what they're doing catch the lion's share, but they're there to be caught. Yeah, it's interesting. One of the things um, that kind of surfaced at an odds fish meeting recently on the commercial fishery in Lake Macquarie was, was actually a local angler, Dan Gilfoyle, was explaining that because there's no more commercial fishing in the lake, it's meant that there, when you find a bait school in the lake, it's less productive as it was a long time ago because the predators aren't being taken out, but neither is the bait. So he was explaining that back in the 2000s, for example, you might rock up to a bait school that you've sounded up on. Now you're electronics. Back then you were using, or nearly using the old paper sounder, as they'd call it, and you would kind of struggle to catch a fish off a bait school because all the predators were taken out. But now, because the bait is so prominent and you find a bait school, you might have to find five or six bait schools before you find one with fish on it because the bait is so prominent in the lake at the moment. It's a really interesting dynamic and one that I kind of want to dive a little bit further into um, as we do a bit of research on on, on recreational fishing havens. Well, the, the lake is just crawling with the mulloway at the moment. Growing up, it was a rare thing to catch a, a dewy in the lake. My grandfather caught one about 30 pound off the, the back of mum and dad's place and, and my uncle caught one at the mouth of uh, Cockle Creek, Spears Point, that was about 50 pound. I, I never forget him up at Spears Point scaling it with a hoe in the garden, you know, <laughs> with a garden, those big scales flying off 
like uh, dinner plates. I, I reckon that one probably weighed an extra 20 kilos because of all the lead in it from the old sulphide. But uh, <laughs> it was a beauty. So from your, from your experience, Scotty, was, was a, a big capture like that common? Uh, no, no, not at all. Not at all, Jonathan. You know how many there are in there. Now, I, for example, I went out the other day and fished on the cockle beds for brim, uh, but I had my big dewy rod and I was going to uh, catch a, a little yellowtail or something because there's plenty of those about, as you say, lots of bait in the uh, the system. So I was dropping down a, a piece of prawn on a four-pound line uh, on a little rod to catch some yellowtail to then use for live bait for, for the dewfish out, out wider in the deep water. And I'm in about, oh, I don't know, six or seven feet of water and away it goes. And I thought, oh, I've got a big flathead here. Oh, no, I've got four-pound line. It'll bite me off for sure. Anyway, I fought it and fought it and fought it and fought it. Slipped the net under it. A beautiful, big, silvery, 50-centimetre mulloway. Um, oh, nice. On four-pound line. You know, it was just the thrill of a life. So I gently removed the hook and, and let it swim. It darted away. Obviously, no barotrauma in water that shallow. But, you know, we'd been fishing there for 40 years. My father, for 50 60 years in the same spot, never tangled with a dewy. Uh, a couple of years after the nets went out, we were doing the same thing, light line fishing for brim, and he hooked a snapper with a bump. It went round the boat four times and got a six-pound line that time and got it in the net, and it's, wow, it's a snapper. You know, we'd never caught these fish because they were just not there uh, anecdotally. Well, they're very prominent at the moment. Like we're, we're finding lots of good numbers of those smaller fish. Yeah, lots of lots of uh, soapy dews, lots of mulloway, which is yeah. a good good thing, isn't it? The small one, they grow quickly with that availability of bait you're talking about. And what what's the best way to target them, Jonathan, in, in Lake Macquarie? Because many places where we chase them, there's tidal run and things like the Hawkesbury, and, and you've got to work around those tides. But the lake is very, very still, uh, other than around Swansea. Yeah, look, whilst it's still, Scotty, uh, you know, you don't want to be fooled that... Often in those waterways where the tide doesn't seem as prominent, it's, it's nearly more important because in a still waterway, a little bit of tide goes a real long way for those predators. So, look, tide's still incredibly important and a lot of your fishing will need to revolve around those tides because the lake has such a narrow entrance and it is the largest saltwater tidal lake um, in the southern hemisphere, as people know by now. It means that you've really got to be conscious as to where you're fishing because quite often the tide will be delayed so when you check your weather apps, for example, it might say it's a, a high tide at the entrance at 9 o'clock. Well, you know, you're looking at upwards of six hours delay before you get right down the back towards Dora Creek and Poolbar Island and things like that. So, look, it's it's too big of a topic to dive in exactly how to understand that now. But what you really need to do is, is trying to go out there and, and see what your app or what it, wherever you get your, your kind of weather information from and then have a look down in the water and see if you can throw a bit of bread or something over to see which way that's going because you know, the tides will be quite delayed in an estuary so big. But, look, if I'm chasing a mulloway, particularly some of these school ones that are getting around at the moment, I'm tying on um, a soft vibe or a, or a four- to five-inch soft plastic, and I'm really just targeting those tailor schools. If I can find a tailor, then I can almost guarantee, <laughs> Scotty, that the mulloway will be underneath it, and it's just a matter of putting in the car. Right. Well, the birds tell you where they are, don't they? Exactly. It's like a big, it's a big, it's a big food chain, really. When you think about it, find the birds... You find the bait, you find the tailor, and then underneath the tailor, well, there's the mulloway. Usually, now there's no guarantees in fishing, and uh, look, it's kind of trial and error. But at the moment, uh, particularly as we come into these cooler months, winter, um, we get that bait really congregating in the deeper water, uh, moving off the shallows into that 8 to 10 metres, then you're a pretty good chance. If you spent all day on the lake and, and, and kind of followed the bait schools around, 
you'd either find yourself on a big tail or a big salmon, a half-decent flathead or maybe one of those small mullerlay getting around. Right. Do the flathead come up under those bait schools as well, do they? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They, so I, I see flathead as kind of like the the picking up the scraps. So what you'll have is you'll have like this big burly trail going. You'll have the tailor, which have sharp teeth, chopping the tails and in half, all the bait fish in half, which is the remnants of that is then sinking down in the water column. You'll have the big tailor eating that. Then the ones that slip through the, 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 the cracks, you'll have big flathead and brim and snapper feeding it off the bottom. And then in and amongst all that, you've got the mulloway feeding on the tailor. So that's why it's such a productive way to go fishing, because if you're not catching a mulloway, you'll probably get another big species that's in and around that big burly trail. And the lake isn't that deep, is it? No, not at all. I mean, the average depth you're fishing in the lake at the moment is like eight to nine metres. There are areas where it gets to 15. I've sounded 15 in the lake before, but I must admit, the if you were to drive around, I don't reckon you'd find too many places over 10 metres. Um, just on average. Pulver Island, there's some drop-offs there that are quite deep that are well-known for big tailor, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, Pulver Island's a great spot. Um, obviously, there's a trench that runs through from Greenpoint down to Toronto, which is an old cable line that they, they dug uh, a long time ago, and that gets to maybe 13 metres, maybe. Um, but on average, yeah, yeah. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about, you know, that whole, oh, I've got to find the deeper water. You know, a lot of these fish are comfortable in eight to ten metres of water, that that's where they're doing a lot of their hunting anyway. Um, and at times, you know, I've caught Mulloway in four metres of water. So to me, it's less about the depth and more about what's going on in that particular area. And, and it, for me, it comes back to Taylor every every single time. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm an old feet man, so I was thinking 30 feet. Around 30 feet would be about as, as deep as it gets, eh? Yeah, correct. Yeah, 30 yeah. feet. Yeah, you're in the old scale, mate. You that's talk, right. You talk no. about... You're fishing pounds. <laughs> That's right, I do. They sound bigger in pounds. And uh, there's an event, Ozfish is uh, helping people to, to understand the fishing. Is that right? Yeah, I'm really excited about this one. Look, one of the things we try to do at Ozfish, um, which is, of course, a, a charity organisation um, dedicated to habitat restoration, but also the education of the fishing community, is, is host events, particularly post-COVID, to kind of get people involved in not just how to catch a fish and, and where to be fishing, but also around the research and the, the problems that we're facing in particular waterways, like Lake Macquarie, like um, Sydney Harbour, like down in Wollongong and, and the Shoalhaven. So we've got a series of them um, coming up. We've called them the East Coast Fish Talks. And we've got four speakers at each event, and they've started, they started six weeks ago and we've got six events left and I really want to put the call out so if anyone's listening to this and they're thinking oh well I love my fishing I love catching fish but I wouldn't mind going one step further then these fish talks are kind of a starting point for you we put on food we make sure there's plenty of information there from really credible speakers we have giveaways at most of them plus there's a room full of people that like the same sport as you. So you, you might meet someone who you might be fishing with the next weekend or just have a good yarn about the local fishery. So, it's uh, yeah, it's a really positive experience. Great. Where and when? Yeah, so we've got, uh, we've got a few coming up. The next one is in Wollongong on June 6th. So if you're down in the, in, the, uh, in the Shire or anywhere south of that, we encourage you to go along to Wollongong, which is a, a 6 o'clock start. And then we've got speakers from Ozfish, the local council. We've got PhD candidates going, talking about the research they're doing in the local waterway. We've got a Snapper Citizen Science Program operating down there, which is super, super interesting. And then the one after that is Sydney Harbour, which is on the 7th. So that'll be at Rose Bay, again, 6 o'clock start. And in Sydney Harbour, 
there's some great talkers there from the Nature Conservancy, the Sydney Institute of Marine Science, which is obviously looking at all the seagrass, um, sort of shellfish in and around the local, um, the harbour system there and Botany Bay and offshore. We've got um, university PhD students there. And then following that, on June 22nd, we've got Lake Macquarie. Now, Lake Macquarie's got a few big hitters. On June 22nd, 6 o'clock start, we've got Steve Starling, which is, of course, I'm sure you've had him on the show before, Scotty. We've got Michael Guest. Um, of course, the host of Real Action, and then we've got Dan Gilfoyle, a local gun angler that has done a fair few talks now, and he's going to provide insight into catching some big flatheads. So, look, there's plenty to learn, um, and I really encourage anyone who's free on those nights, June 6, 7, and June 22, um, to, to get involved. Just type in Ozfish and Fish Talks. So there's one at Wollongong, the 19th hole. I like that, at the Wollongong Golf Club on the 6th of June. And then the following night, which is the Sunday, uh, Sydney Harbour, uh, Willara Golf Club, uh, Rose Bay, uh, that one six to eight. And then Swansea on the 22nd at the RSL, right on the water. They're all right on the water, these places. You'll be able to throw a line out the window there at the Swansea RSL and catch a big flathead uh, there on the sand. It's beautiful there. Uh, that's at the Swansea RSL, uh, six to eight on uh, the 22nd. And then on the 28th at Naruma at uh, Club Naruma. And then on the 29th, at Kuma, at the Kuma X Services Club, if you like to catch the beautiful trout of the high country, they'll have all the experts there. Great initiative, uh, Jonathan Bleakley. Thanks for telling us about it, and people just need to jump on the Ozfish uh, website and find out all about it. Tight lines, mate. We've, we've still got to get into those jewies on Lake Macquarie. Now you've told us how to do it. We'd better do it. Hey, Scotty, you know that the invite's always there. Your boat, I'm on. That's more important. Uh, mine's 10 foot long, so <laughs> it might be in yours. <laughs> Sounds good, mate. I'll be in your inbox. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. You can discover more ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listener.